We are in 2015 on a series called Walking Worthy of Your Calling. And our theme verse for the, the year is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, where Paul there says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We have been through several series to review those. We have talked about our personal calling that God has called us individually to do. And then we looked at a series called The the Body, where we examined our calling as a family, the body of Christ here at Northside, who we're called to be and what we're called to do. Then we spent some time addressing not our spiritual family, but our biological family. We addressed the roles of grandparents and parents, spouses and children. And now we are in this series called Laying Aside. And last week we began by saying that this series is a series really about practical holiness. Now there's positional holiness, and that's what you what happens the moment you are buried with Christ in baptism. You are positionally holy. But then you got to grow up in Christ, and this is where practical holiness comes into play. And so we're excited to begin the second uh, lesson this morning. Our theme verse for the Laying Aside series is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We said last week that if we're going to run this race, which is what Scripture says we're doing, uh, we have to do some things. We have to understand that it... It is requiring, it is required for us not only to take off the weights and the sins, but also to train for, decide to, and get serious about the race. So this morning, uh, as we talk about this journey, this race of our holy, our practical holiness, you need to understand that there is some difficulty. Last week we had Adam uh, carrying the weights of, on the backpack and holding those weights and just the immense relief that he felt when he dropped them. But if you were wise, you probably asked the question, why did he bother to pick them up in the first place? Well, that's uh, a good question to ask. In Adam's case, he asked because, well, I'm a good persuader. In your case, you have another persuader. And you need to know that he's not really a good persuader. He's your enemy. He desires not for you to finish the race. He doesn't want you to get closer to the Father. He desires that you sin. He desires that you do things which break God's heart. It's been about 20 years ago now, but I still remember the day on the campus of Oklahoma Christian. It was a a different sort of day. There was sort of a a buzz on campus. Something had happened that had never happened before. And that particular thing which happened got one half of the population of the campus very, very excited. The bees were all a-buzzing because somehow, some way, Oklahoma Christian students there in the year 1996 had been put on the Victoria's Secret catalog mailing list. The bees were buzzing. You see, I worked in the mailroom, so I knew firsthand from experience we had a problem to deal with. We're a Christian university. We're passing out these, these catalogs full of scantily clad flowers. 
So we had to deal with that. And uh, what they decided was if that student's name and student box number was on there, we had to put it in the mailbox. Otherwise, we were breaking the law. But if the, if the student box number wasn't right, we could throw those away. And so at chapel, when the mail was fully delivered, there was a mad rush from the student body, ah, mostly from the boys, to go and to check their student mailbox to see if they had received blessings from heaven. Well, we were dealing with that on the mailroom side, and my shift got over, and so I headed back to my dorm room where myself, my roommate Craig, and six other guys shared a suite. We were going back and kind of getting ready for the rest of the afternoon. And like a, a monkey in a banana factory, one of my roommates came in, Greg, and he said, I've got one! And there was pure excitement in the room, as six college-age boys went and ogled the women of Victoria's Secret catalog. All except for my roommate, Craig, who sat at his desk and continued to put books into his bag. I said, come on, Craig, you got to see what these girls are wearing. He said, nah, guys, I can't. I said, you don't want to see this, man? This is amazing. I did make, no, they made clothes like this. Let me tell you, Victoria has no secrets left. Greg said, no, guys, I really can't. I can't because I struggle with, with lust. And he said, that right there will not help me. He said, there's a verse in the Bible, and actually made a Bible study out. I thought it was pretty cool, and so I want to ask you to turn to that verse this morning. Genesis chapter 4, which was the verse that was read for you. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Now, that's not the fall of man. That is after man fell, and his wife fell to the sin of doing what God had called them not to do, to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. So the world's in a broken state. Mankind is separated in his relationship with God, as Tyler talked about this morning. He is a, he's alone. And their children, Cain and Abel, are having an argument over worship. Hard to imagine, I know. And uh, one of them's offered one type of worship, one of them's offered another type of worship, and, and Cain's offering was not accepted by the Lord. He got very angry. And so God says, come here, let's talk. And he says this verse in verse, chapter 4, verse 7, which is the verse that Craig read to us. He said, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain wasn't struggling with lust. Cain was struggling with anger, and God knew that that anger was going to grow to an unholy place where he would murder his own brother. And he said to Cain, you got to deal with it, because if you don't, it's going to grow. Back to the dorm room at Oklahoma Christian, Craig taught us all a powerful lesson that day, that those women in the Victoria's Secret catalog were a stumbling block. They were sin crouching in the mailbox, just waiting to have numerous young men in their thoughts and their hearts. 
those young men probably wouldn't or couldn't commit adultery yet because none of them were married. But Satan was working to plant seeds within their hearts. When we're talking about temptation, one of the weird things about it is, is that it's us picking up the weights and the sin voluntarily. How does our enemy do this? Number one, he plants seeds of doubt. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, where the fall of man occurred, if you look in that dialogue between, between our enemy and Eve, what happens there is he starts by planting a very subtle question. I can just hear the snake saying, Did God really say? Don't you know he still does that today? And that's why it's so important that I love that so many of you have your Bibles open because you're concerned about what God really says. And Northside wants to be a church where we teach what God really says. And we ought to be parents and grandparents who teach our children and grandchildren what God really says. Because that's the first and best way to fight against temptation. Number two, you need to know he has a plan of temptation. Now that plan hasn't changed very much over the years. It is a threefold plan, and it's found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It's up there, but you can open it up, be familiar with it, fight against temptation. John the Apostle writes, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. That plan hasn't changed. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the scripture tells us when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, sounds like desires of the flesh, pleasing to the eye, sounds like the desires of the eyes, and desirable for gaining wisdom, sounds kind of like the pride of life. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. All the way, fast forward thousands of years to Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is being tempted. And the tempter uses the same plan. He says, take these stones and turn them into bread. That sounds like lust of the flesh. If you'll bow your knee down, I will give you all of these kingdoms. Just bow that knee to me. Sounds like lust of the eyes. Why don't you test the reaction of the angels And throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. Sounds like the pride of life. Yes, it may come in different forms, but the strategy is very much the same. So let's talk about and give you three, uh, I'm sorry, four simple truths about temptation. Now for this part, you're going to turn to James chapter 1. I'm not going to go back and forth on you. But I do want to have you go there and kind of park your finger there. Because this is a good one on temptation. Uh, guys, if you could bring down the lights just a little bit for the uh, upcoming slide here. Number one, James chapter 1.13 says it isn't from God. James chapter 1.13, if you're reading along with me, says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. We think sometimes that God is up there in some sort of holy Olympics contest. Well, what's he going to do today? Is he going to mess up? All right, yeah, he messed up. Send him to hell. That is not the heart of your father. Do you earthly fathers do that? 
Heavens, no. You want your children to succeed. You want to warn them of trouble that's coming. You want what's best for them, and that is the way your father loves you. He does not send temptation, but he does give you free will because it's the only way you can truly love him. In order to truly have free will, you must be able to choose his will or your own. And that's where evil comes from. That's where temptation comes from, as James chapter 14 and sorry, chapter one, verses 14 and 15 later says, but each person is tempted. It is your choice on temptation. You have a choice whether or not you're going to do what the Father wants for you or whether you what you want for you. But when they are dragged away, verse 14, see, temptation seeks to control you. It doesn't just want to be in your life. When I was a teenager, my dad and stepdad, uh, dad, mom and stepdad, excuse me, uh, had uh, horses. And so I watched them learn or try to break a horse. And they don't literally break the horse. That sounds pretty gross. But what they're doing is to try to break the spirit of the horse. To be able to get that bit in its mouth. So the bit and the the horse that's unbroken will spit that bit back out. But the, the horse that's broken will take the bit. And then whenever you pull the bit this way, the horse goes that way. You've got a tiny piece of metal that's controlling an animal that weighs several thousand pounds that's temptation it wants to be in you it wants to control you this way and turn you that way it wants control of you it doesn't just want to be in your life by their own evil desire you see you and i all are tempted that's james says that's common but it's different for every one of us we all have different breaking points we all have points which we have a harder time resisting and the enemy knows what those are. And enticed. We've got to understand that temptation is attractive. It wouldn't be temptation if it wasn't attractive. Then after desire has conceived, I think we're in verse 15 now. After desire has conceived, you see temptation has to start with the desire. And those desires aren't always bad. You know, your body has a desire for food so that you will stay alive. But temptation starts with that desire and then turns it into something like gluttony, which then becomes a sin. So it starts with desire. It waits for it to conceive. It gives birth to sin. This is what always happens. It moves us to action. You say, well, I've never committed adultery. Jesus said, I don't have to worry about adultery yet. What I've got to start with is in the heart where you're looking to lust at a woman. You say, I've never murdered someone, but gosh... Jesus said, I'm not worried about you murdering someone because all you got to do is hate that person and hate just seeing them and think evil thoughts and lay in bed at night just thinking about how much you hate them. Then you've got temptation in your heart. It's going to move to action eventually, which is what the next part says. And sin, when it is full grown, because sin always grows, it never stays the same. And then it gives birth to death. Now, I can explain all of that. That it isn't from God. It is your choice and that it works gradually. Or I can just show you a video. Maybe. This is what James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 says. But each person is tempted. How are you tempted? 
Is it peanut butter? I admit that's one of mine. But in all likelihood, it's something different, something stronger. When they are dragged away, you watched a person be dragged away. You watch a man walk away from his marriage and his family. What, what dragged him away? That woman. You watch an employee get fired because he was stealing from the company. What dragged him away? Greed. By their own evil desire and enticed. We stay there and, and, and for a while the temptation feels good and it tastes good. And it's designed to be attractive. And we think, whoa, oh, the trap hasn't gone off. I mean, it must be okay. I haven't gotten hurt and nobody's found out. And it's all going to be all right. But you see, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sometimes we even leave it for a while. But then we come back. It's given birth to sin. And sin takes over in our life. It absolutely takes hold of us. And when sin gets in our lives, you need to understand that it is not what God wants. Because God sees it with the same perspective that he's seen it since the beginning. Since Adam and Eve wrestled with the fruit, he knows exactly where sin leads every single time. Are you stressed out watching this video? Because you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. Because it happens every single time as we watch people in our lives come and go and yield to temptation. And we say, don't do it. Please don't do it. Don't go into it. Stay away from it. Because that is exactly how God feels when he watches us as we near, which, near things which we know. Will kill us. Every single time. They'll kill us. You need to understand if you're a little child who tells little white lies that that lie will kill you. You need to understand if you're a teenager who's into sexual immorality. You need to know. It'll kill you. You need to understand who, if you're a boss who plans time to be alone with the secretary, it'll kill you. Every single time. When we begin to see temptation as God sees temptation, we no longer see it as something to desire, but something which is deadly. We must overcome temptation whatever yours are they're working on you and you need to overcome them or they will overcome you your journey to holiness begins with acknowledging what your temptations are now turn to romans chapter 13 when we read the following romans 13 verses 13 and 14 let us behave decently as in the daytime not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with Christ and do not think, do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. 
Well, I got to end with some good news on this subject. First is you need to understand that God is faithful. Even though he hates watching you sin and it it Just think how frustrated we are watching that video, knowing what was going to happen. Imagine that on an eternal scale. Because God watches it happen with his children over and over and over and over again. But you need to understand that he, even in the midst of your breaking his heart, is faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, turn there, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You need to understand that every temptation you face has come with two limitations. One is, if you're facing it, you can overcome it. God will not let you face something that you cannot overcome. You can walk away. You can make a plan. You can get an accountability partner. Whatever you need to do, you can't overcome it. And number two, every single time you're tempted, God provides an exit route, an escape plan, an out. Take it. Take it, dear children. Don't succumb to the deadly temptation. Number two, you need to understand that temptation is temporary. It is not a permanent condition. And I found, just practical advice, the more that you resist it, the easier it gets in the resisting. Now, that doesn't mean you won't face that temptation throughout your life. But once you said no one time, it's easier to say no a second time. Now, if you're smart, you realize the converse is true. Once you say yes one time, it's easier to say yes a second time and a third time. I don't know where you are in the yeses or the noes, but start saying no. Resist the devil, James chapter 4 verse 7 says, and he will flee from you. And finally, you need to understand that Jesus conquered it. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, we're going to end with this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with Confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. There is good news about temptation. It can be overcome because he has overcome it. And if you have succumbed to temptation, then I've got good news for you this morning. Jesus Christ wants to be your high priest. He has laid down himself and paid the price for your sin. And you can have positional holiness that works it out itself out on a day by day. Now, if you've come to temptation, if you have sinned and you do not have Jesus, you need to understand that you're in a deadly position, my friend. And if you step into eternity without the blood of Christ, you're in a very, very deadly position. Don't step out of here today without being ready to face your maker and understand that even if you have succumbed to temptation, Christ has overcome. If you have any needs this morning to put on Christ or to be restored, we'd love to help you with that. Please come. Our elders will meet you as we stand and as we sing.